0: If not, if you have a Bible today and you would read along in our scripture text, we're going to take a reading from the book of 2 Corinthians. Again, a reading from the book of 2 Corinthians, and we'll begin reading in chapter 12 and read uh, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 through 10. It says this. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory, or that just means to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, In necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That will conclude our reading this morning at Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses one through ten. And the title of our message this morning is "A Portrait of Grace." A portrait of grace. As I was reading down through this scripture, uh, my mind went back to when I used to teach and in my classroom, or it wasn't specifically in my classroom, but in neighboring classrooms that taught U.S. history, what was very common that you would see, and I'm sure perhaps when you were in school you saw this, but at the top of the room in the border, they would have the presidents and just a portrait of the presidents. And sometimes underneath that they would have something that happened or something that that president did. But it was a portrait of that man, and if you know anything about those men, just like you would anybody, often as I would look at those pictures, my mind would think of something they're known for. Or in other words, I would label them. And so as I would look at our very first president, For me, the word, and there's many that could come to mind, but it was restraint. He could have done a lot because of how he was admired and revered, but he had the wisdom to restrain his appetite for power and rather uh, pass things on. When I think of our second president, John Adams, I think of intelligence. If you read him, he's, he's one of the most intelligent men that ever held that office and I could go down through each one of our presidents and there's some I don't know a lot about if I'm being really honest with you Uh, but with a lot of the ones that I do know something about their portrait represents something bigger than them I don't because I don't know those men because I don't know what it was like to have a relationship with those men Their works follow them, the Bible says, just like it does with all people. And that personality, just like yours and mine, if God allows time to go on, our personalities, our exchanges with other people and activities in this life will soon lose their substance or their meaning rather because the people we did those things with, the people that knew us, will no longer be around. And so our memory will be cemented more in the form of an idea. When I try to describe uh, my dad to uh, my children, my son Jetson has a very vague memory of him. And that vague memory is the sucker guy. Right? Uh, that every time my dad would come around, it was his, let's see, that would have been his first grandson. He brought him a sucker even to his parents' uh, dis- dislike, right? He always brought suckers. Or then it became slushies, And but what Judson remembers is the suckers. And so, in one sense, he doesn't remember so many of the things that defined him, but he's the sucker guy. So will you and I be. In our imaginations, let's think of it as in the minds of people, as they're walking back through memory lane and they're looking at portraits, what will your portrait speak to them? Now, we can't control necessarily what that is. Or in other words, I cannot force somebody to remember me a certain way. Who I am and how I live my life will do that for me. A lot of people get concerned about a legacy, especially people that are well known, people who are famous or athletes get known for a quote legacy. And very often people live their life trying to control here's how I want to be remembered. But one thing I always want to tell people, you can't control that. You cannot force people to think of you a certain way. Rather, your life will paint that portrait in a way that they'll remember it. So I believe Paul here, now in the 12th chapter, just like so many chapters in the Bible, one thing I'd caution any Bible reader is that The thought does not begin in verse 1 of chapter 12. It backs up a little bit. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about chapter 11, but needless to say, the beginning of chapter 12 is just the middle of a thought, and it's just kind of a little bit different thought, but it's a continuation of one. And I hope that sounded clear, didn't it? It's a continuation of a thought, right? And he begins, and he's talking about these men who had come to Corinth and had begun to deceive the people and uproot some things that Paul had thought he had well established there. Now, one way that they convinced the people to listen to them evidently, or at least this is how I understand what Paul's saying, one way that they convinced people to attach themselves to their teaching and neglect Paul's teaching was by their boastings. They would boast about look at all the things God has done through me and by me. And they would consider themselves, and if you look at back in the original Greek, it even uses a term, or at least how I infer the term, would be like a super apostle. So Paul was an apostle that came to them, but they would come and say, I'm a super apostle. Now those are my words, right? But that's what I am, or I'm superior to them. To, to Paul, And so you need to believe me. And then what they would do is they would give a list of all their accomplishments in the spiritual world. And that's how they would seduce people. Now, Paul begins by saying, almost in what I read as a, he's laughing about this a little bit. Like, these guys are caught up in all this foolishness. But he asks the Corinthians, and he, he says, bear with me for a moment. If we want to play that game, I've got a better resume than they do. Right? If you want to boast, and he says, so bear with me in my folly in chapter 11, but let's go ahead and list all of our credentials. And so he lists all the things that he has done for the sake of Christ, or who, what his identity is, and he lists those things, but it's like he feels guilty for doing it. So over and over he says, bear with me in my foolishness. I know I'm not doing this for this reason. Just bear with me and hear me out because there's a greater picture that he's wanting to paint here than just how great he is. And so he gets to the end of all of these things he's great at and all these things he's done and all these things that would denote a superior identity in person. And then it's like he completely pivots from that and says, yet there's something greater that I boast in and it is certainly not those things. And that's what we want to focus on this morning because what Paul, the end point that I want to make this morning is that what Paul boasted of was that he was a portrait of God's grace. Or in other words, it is not about me. When people look at my life, when people begin as they stare into my casket, when people go back through the halls of their memory and begin to look at all the portraits of people, what Paul is saying is, I don't want them to even see me. This is my opinion. I think he would be horrified that churches are named St. Paul, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of great men who have lived, the world will get them these, these big stones, you know, and, and they'll be really huge. I, I think it was uh, John Newton who wrote the song Amazing Grace and uh, contributed with a guy named William, it looks like Cowper, but it's actually pronounced Cooper. They wrote this, this hymn book that is actually the foundation of many hymns that we have, and it was called The Only Hymns. And he had very specific requests for his entombment or his, his burial plot. He said, I just want a really, really small uh, gravestone. And all I wanted to say was this. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. He was. Spe- I don't want to be remembered. I don't want the notoriety. I don't want people to go by a graveyard and say, Oh, the the biggest one in there is the greatest man in there. No, his life, he wanted to just be a portrait that when people saw it, they could deduce one thing. God's grace resided there. All of that man's life was of God's grace. And that's what Paul's saying. And he has quite the profound lesson here in 2 Corinthians 12. And I hope he'll help us to get that out this morning. Let's let's call our attention to verse 6. And that's where we're going to begin kind of our focus this morning. It says this. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. Now I want to pause right there. And I'm going to go just, I'm not going to say line by line, but close. I want you to notice something in the Apostle Paul that resides in all of us. He desired to glory. He wanted to boast. And guess what? I do too. And you do too. You want to be seen by people to be something you're not. And we'll get to that here in just a minute, because Paul addresses that. I do too. And that warfare, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John that all that is in the world, he first tells us not to love the world. And then he tells us why we shouldn't love the world, because the only thing that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Paul wrote somewhere else where when he desired to do good, he found evil was always present within him. Now, I can only speak from my own experience, but I suspect that what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. When he is seeking to do things that he knows is right, that he knows God is in and that he is supposed to do, somehow his fallen mind and and the cleverness of our fallen heart can still tuck deep within us intentions that are self-serving. It is amazing to me when God reveals the depth of my heart, how often that at the root of very good, godly, righteous things can be a desire to be seen of men. And Paul, whom, again, I carefully say this, but... Of all men who have lived, is there not many more who has done as much for the cause of Christ as the Apostle Paul? And we would be tempted to elevate him to this super Christian or super apostle level as these men prior to him did and put himself on a pedestal. But what Paul tells us is, don't do that. I desire to glory in front of people. But if I did, I would be a fool for doing it. But... Here's the question I've always had. Like, what if I'm not trying to boast? What if I'm just trying to tell the truth about myself? Have you ever had that thought before? Like, for example, I can remember playing on a basketball team and being the best player. And my mom said, don't say you're the best player. And I said, well, and this is not being boastful. This is just being truthful. But mom, I am. And I would say to this church, there are many of you that fall into that category that many of you have striven in your life to, to perfect as much as you can your craft. You're in the finance world. You're an entrepreneur. You're a teacher. You're whatever trade or skill and you have really taken pride in your standard is super high for yourself and you've striven for your standard and you've crossed every T and you've dotted every I and when everyone else leaves the office, you stay there and you work and you work and you work and you put your time and your effort in. And so Paul's going to address that. What if what I'm saying is true though? And he gives us this stark warning, still be careful and be careful to the extent that you don't even bring it up. All right, let's look what he says here. But now I forbear. Excuse me, I missed a, a phrase that was kind of key to all of it. Verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear. Or in other words, he's saying this. I could give you my resume of accomplishments, and they would all be true. But I'm going to forbear it. I'm not going to do it. Why? He tells us something very important. Lest people think more highly of me than what they ought to. I've noticed about conversation, I say this very carefully because there's not, this isn't necessarily wrong to do. It's the nature of some conversation. But I guess teaching younger people It's particularly prevalent, but it's still prevalent among older people, too. It's when I tell a story about something. I caught a fish, and it was that big. The proclivity in people to, even if it wasn't as big, they just want to tell their wild story. And so there comes a point, and you can watch in people's eyes when they stop listening, Because what they're waiting to do is respond to you. They've got something that needs to be heard. Now, again, that's the nature of conversation, and I'm not condemning that altogether. But there comes a part of that that can begin to constantly develop in our own minds a portrait of self-sufficiency, of I'm wanting to build in the minds and hearts of people this picture of who I am and what I am and what I'm good at and what I thrive at. And even if it's the truth, Paul is saying, I'm going to at times forbear. You know, I would listen to some of my students, uh, things that they would say, well, they're 15 years younger than me in a lot of areas. And so when they would talk about, I've got $2,000 in my savings account, I'd go, right, okay. Now imagine if a teacher, I said, well, I've got this much. In other words, I could have silenced the room every time on that one because they're teenagers. They're not expected to have that much money. But what did I do? The same thing you would have done. You forbear it. It's true, but you don't do it. And the reason is because you're not wanting to, and here's really important, you're not wanting things and people to look at you. That's a really hard thing you've got to be constantly aware of. I believe that's one thing Paul emphasize that we're dying daily to is painting a portrait of who we are that is rooted in our self-sufficiency. We don't want that. So then what do we want? And this is what I'm trying to get to this morning, but I feel like the path to get there is really important. Verse 7, he says this, that God saw, and I want to, before I say something about verse 7, God saw how excellently he made Paul. It's it's supposed that Paul knew 10 or 12 languages. That's just amazing that he knew that. You don't have to read, you know, you can pick up the book of Romans and you can see, man, that guy, he was sharp. I mean, like just even the language he used. I know God inspired it, but that guy was just a genius. Brilliant. God saw how he made Paul. God saw how he schooled Paul. And so God caring for Paul and not wanting Paul to be lifted up does something to Paul that's really tough. And let me say this, it's really tough for people who strive to excel that God does this. This is what he says in verse seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Whew. Now this is a tough one. This is really tough. and It's not tough to read, it's tough to live. I want you to know that's the most case with the Bible, things in the Bible. They're not tough to read. They're tough to live. And this is one of those. I imagine when Paul is writing this, it's so much more personal to him than what I, I could ever bring out to you today. He's saying, before this, God has given me all these spiritual revelations. God has made me because I'm trying to compare myself to these idiots who are trying to lift themselves up, and I'm showing you they have nothing to boast in because look at me, I can excel them, and yet I want to teach you a bigger lesson in all my excelling them, and that is this, even in the midst of all the amazing things God has done for me, God decided to give me a a distinction or a, a distinct weakness, Something, a a thorn as he described it. Now, the Bible never, there's a lot of speculation, and I have my own speculation, but what we know about that thorn is, one, God gave it to him. God did it. That's the most important thing to know: is that he saw the thing or the things that happened to him in life or perhaps something he was born with. We don't exactly know what it was, but God did it by design, and it was a weakness and it bothered him, greatly bothered him insomuch that he sought God to take it away. Now, it's interesting to me that he says he sought that God would take it away three times. Um, this is my speculation here. So take it as that we all pray. I pray before I eat. I try to pray. Sometimes I fail at this, but I try to pray a couple times a day at least. But those prayers are not particularly as full as they ought to be. And then there are prayers that we devote to a certain end. I remember reading a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and one of the advice he gave to people praying is that very often you feel like there's so many things to pray for, and so you you fatigue yourself in prayer. So he gave this really helpful suggestion, and I've taken it very often. He said, devote your prayers to a certain purpose. Like say, I'm praying for lost people. That's what I'm going to do right now. And then you go through your mind. Now, do that when your, your heart is being led that direction. When you've got a particular heavy heart for lost people, pray for lost people. And go through the litany of them. Everyone you can think of, everyone that's been requested for, really attack it. Now, that really helped me in my prayer life because... It helped me to concentrate and fully focus on the things that I care about without feeling guilty for leaving everything out. Now, I think what Paul, again, my speculation here about his prayer life is this. There were three times where Paul exerted himself fully, God, please take this problem away from me. And no doubt, just as you and I do, he would give all the benefits to God as to why it would be beneficial to God's cause for him to take this problem away. Lord, if you would let me, let's say Paul's a difficulty with his eyesight, like many people speculate, Lord, I could travel many more miles, I could help many more people, I could read many more things, I could write more letters, I could do all of these things if I could just see better. But every day there are some good days and there are some bad days where I can't even hardly get out of bed. I can't see anything. My mind doesn't function as well. And no doubt he would give all the reasons why. You ought to heal me of this infirmity. And Paul says three times, I besought, that's what gives me the the sense that it was like an intensity to it. He besought the Lord that he would remove this this thorn in the flesh. And this is what his response, Now I want to show you this. God responded to him. You know, if we pray in that fashion, we have the, Confidence through faith that God will respond. That's the difference in religion that we believe in religion that exists in America today. We believe God speaks back. That there are things that he can show us. There's things that he can speak to our hearts that are as real as if he audibly said them. And that there's no way we can be convinced otherwise. The beautiful thing, Paul is seeking after God. He's truly desiring He's not asking amiss, as the book of James tells us, so that he can consume it upon his lusts. That's many of our prayers go that, Lord, help me to have better eyesight so I can be more productive at work and make more money for my family. That's not what he prayed. I believe he's praying, Lord, for your benefit, remove this from me. And some of the most, probably the most famous verse, one of the most famous verses in all of Paul's writing. Verse nine, it says this. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I can think of one experience I had, and I'm not going to share it with you this morning, but I've had one experience where God gave me an answer, and I knew it was from the Lord, but I couldn't accept it. Like it was so hard. It was really hard to accept. And I wrestled with the Lord about it a lot. And I cried out in, I would say, confusion. I don't understand, Lord. I, I just don't understand. And yet the Lord gave me this, this, this little, as it was described earlier, this little breadcrumb. Like I knew it was the Lord that did it. And even in the knowledge that it was the Lord, I just, I couldn't initially accept it. Why? What if, what if you being, for those of you that are perfectionists, what if, you being imperfect is God's design? Like in that area that you're striving towards perfection, that area that you've tried to control your whole life, that area you've striven towards perfection and control for your whole life, what if it's in God's plan for it never to be that way you imagine it? And what if the biggest nightmare you could ever face is if you got what you wanted? Like I think of, People who strive to be wealthy. I was reading this book this week, um, and it was talking about a, a man who strives for things, and he's always seeking to please everybody. Is what it was. That's what it was. He was striving to please everybody. So what really fueled his life was I got to please you, and I got to please you, and everybody in his life that's reaching for him, he's got to please him. So everybody labeled him, and I can't remember what Superman or something like that. You know, he was always the one that saved the day. And it said in this book, but his kids called him something different and that was phantom man he was always gone he was always out saving the other day for all these other people that the people whom god had entrusted for him to be superman too and i say that obviously lightly he had failed so let's ask this question what if that thing that you're striving for strength and perfection for, that thing that you're striving to be remembered for, that thing that you want as your portrait hangs upon the wall of people's memories, that's what you want. What if you get it, but in in the process of getting it, you mar your children's portrait or your wife's portrait because You got what you wanted. You know, that's what I've always thought about all these professional athletes. They go into the Hall of Fame and they're remembered. And what I always want to say to people when when they're in the midst of revering those men and, and women is you cannot judge a person solely by one quality, do it by the whole picture. Well, what you'll find with many of these athletes is that they've sought success in one place, everything else be forgotten. And so guess what their marriages were like? Guess the bitterness that their children have towards them? Guess what people say about you can never be friends? I heard about an athlete here recently that said he only had three friends in the sport that he played because he was so ruthless to get what he wanted, he didn't care about anybody else. And I thought, people can revere him for that one thing, and he might have attained it, but at what cost? Paul, God responds to him, my grace in your thorn is sufficient. And then Paul continues and says this, well, if God can use my weakness and that is his inlet into granting me a powerful life to serve Christ and help other people, that the way that God comes into me is not through my strength It is primarily through that weakness because in that weakness, just like it has these last three times, it draws me to dependence upon Jesus Christ. If through that weakness, I can be made strong, then Paul turns the whole script for two chapters and says this. Then I will glory in my weakness. I will long for a weakness. Okay, now let me say this. This is really important. This is a level of Christian maturity that you're you're really starting to get serious about Christianity here. I mean, think about this. You're saying, God, send my way. Imperfections, weaknesses, distresses, hardships. I'm using those words because those are the words Paul uses. Send those my way. In that, because of that, you can Put yourself high and lift it up. Because then my life becomes what? A portrait of grace. Well, in other words, here's what people say. God did that. That person's life is not of themselves; It's of God. You know, I've thought about that all week as we were at church night after night praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. we leave here and we'd be praying and just... I, don't, I, don't, I, I think, and I hesitate to say this, but I, I don't know that I've ever prayed as much in two weeks. Um, just kept going. And there came, it was about the 10th or 12th night of us gathering here and going through that same place. We got that same place where I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you save people tonight, nobody here would think it was of our own strength that this happened. We emptied ourselves out five or six days ago. (laughs) It is so clear that if you would save these young people, we would know beyond any doubt, it's of you, Lord, not of us. Let me ask you this question. Isn't that the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture? Are those the most beautiful lives that people ever live? Is when people empty all, when people suffer, when people struggle... And yet God remains all in all in them. I'm going to to begin to close with my last verse here, verse 10. This is what Paul says. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Here's what I would say to, to my fellow Christians this morning. The initial response to hardship and distresses and situations that are beyond our control or even some that come as a result of our behavior is to respond in such a manner that, well, we can control it. What's going to happen? The result. Paul is saying this. I welcome these things now because these are the doors that open for Christ's power to work through me. I say that for what reason? Well, the Lord's been really working in our church, I think. And I'll say he's been working in a peculiar manner. Not the way I envisioned it, in other words. But what if To continue, I heard somebody use, I think it was Brother Ron, as he was testifying up here, said, you know, let's just inch closer, a little closer, a little higher, a little higher. Well, to inch higher, it calls us higher. And I would love to say that it would be great if you could just go about living your normal life, and then you're going to come here and the Lord's just going to, it's going to be a powerhouse. I don't think that's going to be the case. Do you know how God is going to work in us and his grace become abundant that we as a church would become a portrait of grace through distresses and persecutions and hardships? In other words, this. When marriages start getting difficult, when behavior issues go from kids of concerning to something has to be done, when infighting begins amongst family members and church members, when... When these things happen, that's the point where we can do one of two things. Try to control it and paint it to the end result we want. Or defer to God's grace and say, Lord, your grace is sufficient to help us through this. I think often the decision of what we're going to do is made the moment we recognize the hardship that's in front of us. Because here's what people do. They either grab a hold of it and say, I'm going to control it, or they do what Paul did. They get on their knees and they say, God, help me. Help me. That can come in, as I said, words that are easy to read, but hard to live. This morning... I suppose my message is to say this. As Satan's fervor attacks us the more, let us determine before those hardships come that we're going to respond as Paul did and desire to be a portrait of God's grace. Paul looked into heaven. I mean, his life, can you not see his life was controlled by the Lord? And friends, look at the fruit of it. Like, look at the fruit of his life. And if you'll notice, every person in the Bible that has tremendous fruit had tremendous difficulty. Every church that has tremendous fruit, guess what? Hardship breeds that. That's what comes before that. And so as we ride on this spiritual high... Let's not be caught off guard to what God is calling us to, but let's not be afraid of it. Because listen, in the same sense that Paul experienced these things, what did he say in verses 1 through 4? I was called up into heavenly places. (laughs) He saw the hardships nobody else faced, but guess what he also saw? He got called into a third heaven. He said, I don't even know if those people were of the earth or of heaven. I don't even, I don't know, I don't understand it because it was such a heavenly place to be. I wonder if we went back and asked Paul, would you give back your persecutions, but you also have to give back the glory you experienced and the the blood. There's no way you would have. This morning, that's what's been on my heart today. I, I just pray that God would help us as a church to continue to press upward. Please hear these last words. Come what may. Let us stay devoted to being a template and a portrait of God's grace as we have been these past number of months. That's our message this morning. I pray to somebody it would be of some benefit today.